Hello, 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 everybody. This is the Boston Red Sox Unfiltered Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Green. We got a really exciting episode to get to after a very nice uh, series against the Baltimore Orioles where the Red Sox took three of four. Joining me, as always, is David Latham. David, say hi to the people. Hi to the people, and I can't get... Can't wait to get underway with this one. It was a fun series. It was a lot of fun. And and also joining us today, we got uh, Jordan DeCoe. Jordan, say also say hi to the people. Uh, hello, people. How are you? Yes. So now we got we got three of us this week, so it's going to be a jam-packed episode of a lot of fun. Uh, we got a lot to cover. We're going to have some very polarizing topics, and we're actually even going to be talking about Sandy Leone as potentially the starting catcher for the Boston Red Sox at some point in this episode. So you want to stay tuned for that. But we're going to start by breaking down the series, and we're going to go through it. It, was, it started on Thursday and ended today with the 5-0 win over the O's. So the first game on Thursday, the Red Sox won 6-2 over the O's. J.D. Martinez went yard for his 13th of the season. And Xander Bogarts demolished a three-run jack. You know, I feel like Bogarts has, like, this knack now for, like, multi-run home runs. Like, he never just hits a solo home run. It's like a grand slam or a three-run homer. I don't know if you guys picked up on that at all. He's got, like, a flair for the jack. Yeah, I can't uh, have noticed yeah. it, but now, now that you mention it, I'm really trying to think of the last time he had a solo shot, and that was probably, like, back in the first series of the year against Tampa when he was the only one that could hit. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, hell, when you got guys in scoring position, best to send them all around. Exactly. So good for Bogey for doing that. Yeah. <laughs> so that that was a nice uh, three-run jack. I think he actually hit a three-run home run the game before against the series finale against the Athletics. Is that correct? Did you? Is that a true fact? I think that's correct. It was one of those games, and three runs sounds right. But yeah. yeah. It was either three or two, and it was either the last game of Oakland or the one before that, so somewhere in that time. Yeah, period. all I know is Xander Bogarts, when runners get on base, he's trying to go yard, and he does it, and he does it well. Um, so also in that game, I don't know, I think this was the best takeaway of this Thursday game, especially for David. Uh, David Price's 95-pitch gem, complete game shutout, eight strikeouts, zero walks, he gave up five hits and only allowed two runs. I'm going to start with you, David. David, how did you feel about the David Price uh, gem on uh, Thursday? Well, I was loving every second of it. As people that follow this podcast know, I'm a pretty big David Price guy. I'm not as big a David Price guy as I, I, I sort of have to be just because everyone around Boston despises the guy, and I sort of have to jump to his defense or I feel a need to. And, I don't know, just seeing his performance, um, you know, nine innings, and he was one straight strike away from a complete game shutout. And, you know, Machado hit that homer, but still a phenomenal outing. And this is coming off the heels of a pretty good but not great outing against the Blue Jays, you know. It, it really looks like the hand issue was completely real. It was, affecting his, it was affecting his performance because if you look at the two starts he had before the hand injury, and the two after, you combine those, he's gone 28.1 innings, and he's allowed four earned runs. That's really, really good. Whereas from the start of the hand injury until the start, uh, when he missed the one he missed against the Yankees, he had like an 8-2 ERA. There's a pretty clear cause correlation thing going on there. So I do believe that this David Price is the one to stay to some extent. I don't think he's going to keep up the four runs per 28 innings pace, but I do think we've got Price set up to be a very good number two the rest of the way behind Chris Sale obviously being the ace. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, Jordan and I talked about last week, actually the podcast episode five was David Price's redemption, and he had a really nice game, but this, this, this performance on Thursday night topped that. Jordan, what did you see from David Price? You know what? Um, I think I think what we have in David Price is, um, I mean, I, I'm I'm 100% behind uh, what David said. Uh, I think it was definitely the hand issue um, bothering him. <clears throat> and I think what we got from David Price on Thursday was just like the David Price that we needed. Like, yes, there's a lot of like drama and a lot of baggage, if you will, behind him. But you know, when he needed a good start out of him. I mean, you'll get it, and, th- and Thursday was uh, another example of that. Yeah, for sure. So Thursday night's game, it was all sunshines and rainbows for the Red Sox, and then Friday happened, and it was a 7-4 loss to the O's, which is not very favorable, but considering that was the only loss of the series, uh, it, was, it was a pretty good result for that. Um, but Mookie Betts belted his 14th bomb in that game. Blake Swire actually caught in the game. He, was a, he came in as a pinch hitter or pinch catcher I, I think actually Moreland was pinch, pinch runner yeah pinch and then runner he, uh, right in the ninth I believe yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and then Swihart actually caught I didn't catch that but did any of you guys see uh Swihart behind the backstop I'll start with you Dave yeah I saw him uh, go up he went out there for the ninth and Wright was still on and he was catching knuckleballs now he had some experience doing this from 2015 when he was the primary catcher and Wright pitched a good amount that year but uh, I mean, I really don't understand, because knuckleballs are damn hard to catch. They Nobody are. can do that. Even the best defensive catchers can't do that consistently. And if you're trusting Blake Swihart to catch a knuckleballer in the ninth inning of a game that was most likely lost, but it wasn't completely out of reach, then I don't know why he's not defensively good enough to catch regular games. Yeah. Definitely. Um, this like kind of ha- brought me back to R.A. Dickey and when he had Josh Tolley as like his permanent knuckleball catcher. Like I don't know if you've, you guys know who Josh Tolley is, but basically the guy could not hit for anything. He was started with R.A. Dickey's career with the Mets, and then he actually got he was part of a trade that sent Dickey to the Blue Jays, and he literally like hung around with like a hundred consistently one hundred batting average just so he could catch R.A. Dickey's knuckleball. I mean that's not the same situation with Blake Swihart, but yeah, so I, maybe some catchers are just more adept at catching the knuckleball. Uh, yeah. So Jordan, what did you see from Blake Swihart in this small sample size behind the uh, plate? Um. You know what? I actually, unfortunately, did not catch that game. Uh, catch that game, but I think his defense overall is um, is like very valuable to the club. It's unfortunate that uh, we have this logjam between uh, Vasquez and Leon to um, kind of like not give uh, Swihart as much exposure as he needs to. Because I think if he gets like, if there's a way to keep him on the club and and give him some like some valuable exposure. I think it's a very valuable valuable asset, and if we and if we and if we get rid of him, I mean, I think it's going to hurt us a little bit. So um, I know, like, I know the catching position is a uh, is kind of a conundrum, um, or like you know, insert word here, you could, any way you want to describe it. But uh, I think I think Swihart's a very valuable player, and if we lose him, it'll be a, it'll be a punch. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I definitely see that. Um, we're going to talk about Swihart and that Red Sox catching situation, which we do almost every week now, ad nauseum later in the show. But, yeah, I think it was pretty interesting that Swihart was able to catch this game. I think it says something that maybe they're going to try him out more. Actually, I don't even know if it means that. But you know what? I'll tell you what did happen. Blake Swihart caught an inning for the Red Sox, and I don't know. It might have been good. I didn't see it. But... <laughs> Um, Drew Pomeranz in this game did not have his best stuff. Four innings, four in runs, three walks, two strikeouts. Disgusting K-to-walk ratio. That's not what you wanted to see. He was getting hit hard. But Stephen Wright, who just returned recently, uh, in his return to relevance, pitched four and two-thirds innings, logging more innings than the starter, Drew Pomeranz, with two earned runs and a really nice five-to-one strikeout-to-walk ratio, which is very encouraging because... Wright is missing bats and he's not allowing free passes so his peripherals look decent um so there have now been talks that Stephen Wright should be replacing Drew Pomeranz in the rotation they're very preemptive and they're very presumptuous and I don't I don't know if I believe them or think that they that actually should be put in place but at the same time people are rumbling about it and we are a Red Sox podcast so we are going to talk about it Dave what do you think about Stephen Wright potentially displacing Drew Pomeranz or replacing Drew Pomeranz in the rotation well I'm open in general to uh the idea of Drew Pomeranz being out of the rotation but as I've said on this podcast before I think I need a little more time to know which Drew Pomerantz is, if he can get 2017 Pomerantz back. Um, I'd give him three or more starts left, and then I'd, y- then I'd probably yank him if he can't do it for that, throw him in the bullpen. But I wouldn't yank him for Steven Wright. I'd yank him and put Hector Velasquez back in there, just because I like I really like what Velasquez has shown this year when he's been up in the majors. He's made, a, I think, just the one spot start, but if you go back to 16, uh, 17, he made a few spot starts too. And he's been great in just about all of them. And just with Wright, one, he's only made two bullpen appearances, I believe. So you don't know that this Stephen Wright's the one to stay. You actually have more of a sample with Velasquez. And two, Wright's a knuckleballer. And just the nature of being a knuckleballer makes you pretty un- unpredictable as to what you're going to get on a game-by-game outing. So even if you go back to um, Wright in 2017, 27- 2016 when he was so good that first half a year anytime it rained or i remember in texas it was humid and you just couldn't get a grip on the ball those starts went ugly when you have velasquez a guy who's more of a traditional pitcher you don't really have those worries about uh what you're gonna get you you know that a lot more and just in the sense of keeping right as the main long guy if the starter can't go deep being a knuckleballer you don't put as much strain on your arm as if you're a fastball thrower so if you really needed to write to go four innings in back-to-back games, you could do that. But if you had Pomeranz and Velasquez as the long guys, you really couldn't. If you pitched one of them four innings, they'd need the next day off. So I think the best uh, bullpen, assuming Pomeranz doesn't figure it out, he very well could. But assuming he doesn't, I think the best thing to do, best thing to do is put Velasquez in the starting rotation, have Pomeranz and Wright be the long guys. Yeah. Beautifully said. Uh, Velasquez is definitely more predictable, I think, just because he's always about limiting quality of contact. He's such a peripheral ground ball guy, whereas Stephen Wright, as you said, knuckleballers tend to be more volatile. If they don't have a feel for it, then he's going to throw it high, and hitters are going to let it fly. So I agree with that. Um, 
Yeah, Jordan, what are your thoughts on Stephen Wright? Um, I mean, I, I mean, David took the words right out of my mouth. But uh, anyway, <laughs> um, uh, uh, well, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, yeah, I think um, I think what we saw from Stephen Wright, where he went, I think four innings and uh, struck out five. I think that's the Stephen Wright we want to see. But at the same time, like Dave said, um, I think we're going to see we need, we're going to need to see a little bit more of that from Wright, and then just see what Pomeran can do in the next couple starts. Um, cause once you get right in there, um, like Dave said, like the knuckleball is a very unpredictable pitch. And if it, if things go bad with, uh, with more exposure, with uh, right in the rotation, I mean, it could, it could just like beat up on his, uh, on his psyche and, um, and then it can just, you know, snowball and go downhill from there. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, as long as, you know, as long as Stephen Wright continues like these starts out of the bullpen, um, I mean, he won't give the Red Sox like any other decision than to put him in the rotation. But I think for now on, we're gonna have to see like some more from some more starts out of him, and then see if the uh, Pomeranz can can shape up. For sure, you know I'm actually a big believer in Drew Pomeranz too. Um, he might be my new JBJ, except on the pitching side of things. Uh, people forget Pomeranz was the Red Sox second best pitcher last year. It was not particularly close. He had a knack for, he was a good strikeout guy. He has two really good pitches that play off each other. His knuckle curve is incredible when he can locate it. His fastball plays off that very well. He even has a nice changeup to go along with that. I think Pomeranz is scuffling now, and he did scuffle when he joined the club in 2016, second half, but I don't think you give up on him quite yet. I don't think you put him in the bullpen quite yet, especially when you have a guy who's as uncertain and volatile as Stephen Wright. Especially if we're talking Stephen Wright over Drew Pomeranz, I'm going to tend to favor Drew Pomeranz just because he has the history unlike I mean Stephen Wright has the history but we have to go back all the way to first half of 2016 and I don't want to go back that far in hopes that maybe he can reclaim this this magic that he had when he was an all-star um, but Hector Velasquez as Dave pointed out probably would represent the better option so with that said we will move on to Saturday's okay. result and uh, actually oh you got something to say I add one more point in there oh, of course you can go ahead all right so um a lot of people out there on the Twitterverse are saying like you know, even if Palm can find it, too, like don't like uh, we can't wait any longer. You just throw right out there, throw Velasquez out there, put uh, Palm in the bullpen. And if we were in the 2017 situation where we didn't have good options behind Chris Sale, I'd be more inclined for that. But if you look at the rotation right now, Palm is the number five starter. Definitely, you got Sale, who's just a monster. He's amazing. He's the ace. But behind him, you have a really solid two, three, four of. Uh, Price, Porcello, and Rodriguez. I mean, look at what Eddie did today. That was phenomenal. And he's your number four guy Definitely. right now. So you have time. If the biggest thing you have to worry out is who's the number five guy, you're in pretty good shape as a team. And if you can get Palm pitching like he did in 2017 and say, great, that was good enough for a playoff team to be the, num be the number two guy, but now you're the number five guy, and just to think about how great that rotation can be. You don't have that feeling with Velasquez or Wright. Exactly. And the thing is, like, what, is this Pomerantz fifth or sixth start? Like, I, he has not thrown that many games. Like, he has not been given, it's not a really, like, it's not a very viable sample size to look at. Granted, in the games, he's been hit hard. Yeah, and, 
And he missed most of spring training. Exactly. Yeah, he needs time to build up that arm strength. I mean, his fastball velocity was down in the beginning of the season. And uh, as I chronicled in an article in the past, his knuckle curve just was not being located as well. But if he can get get more command on that pitch, which I think he can, then... Drew Pomerantz represents a really quality number five option. And I think the Reds, as you pointed out, Dave, the Red Sox can be patient with this because they have such a good rotation. So I think be patient on Pomerantz for a little longer. Just give him a chance. So moving on to Saturday, the 6-3 Red Sox win over the O's. It was the third game of the series. Betts and Benintendi went back-to-back. They had back-to-back jacks, and it was very exciting. Devers also had a home run in that game. Uh, Rick Porcello, he went six innings, three earned runs, punched out nine guys, and allowed three walks. It was a it was a quality start for Rick Porcello. Like it was literally defined as a quality start. But in his last three starts, he's given up 13 earned runs in 17 and one third innings, and that's the tune of a 6.75 ERA. Granted, he has 17 strikeouts to six walks in that stretch. Um, I just wanted to know what your thoughts are about his recent skid. I personally don't think it's that big of a deal. I think it's, again, small sample size, and we shouldn't read too much into it because his underlying statistics look good. But I'll start with you, Jordan. What do you think about Rick Purcell's recent uh, struggles? You know what? Uh, personally, I'm not that worried about it because he did just go on a stretch of, I think, um, he, he won like five games in a row to, to start the season before um, I think I think he took a no decision on the game after that. Uh, I mean, the guy doesn't like to walk anybody, so if you're gonna like hang around the strike zone that much, and you're gonna, I mean, when you're off, you're gonna run into some bats, and I think that's what uh, Porcello has been experiencing. But you know, Porcello's like a solid number three, or like you know, a solid number three, and um, you know, I, I, I think he is, I mean, he is one of the most dominant pitchers um, in baseball, and I think. Uh, this is, you know, this is just a, a skid that, you know, should happen to, not, not should, but you no, know, it does happen every now and then to, uh, to like, at, to any pitcher. So, you know, I'm not that concerned about it. Um, if it happens a little bit more, then, like, I'll start to question what's going on. But for right now, after going to, like, five and out to start the season, I'm not, like, I can't be that worried about it. Yeah. I don't think there's any cause for concern. I just want to make a point of it. Dave, what do you think? Yeah, I'm with uh, the rest of you guys here. I don't think it's anything to worry about, especially with how good he was to start the season. Before the before um, three starts ago, you could have argued he was the best guy in a rotation that included Chris Sale, which just shows to go how uh, just goes to show how great he is. He's probably not going to be better than Chris Sale for the season, but I don't think he's going to struggle like he did the last three starts because. If you really look at the last three starts, they're not as bad as they look on paper. Yeah. I mean, the, the Yankees won. Yeah, he ran into trouble. That that's the Yankees in you know Yankee Stadium. It's if you get beat up there, that's pretty understandable. They're one of the best offenses in the league, and you were playing on the road. The Blue Jays one was just ugly, but uh, his most recent one, he went like you said six six innings, gave up three runs, but two of those runs came on a two-run homer that's a flyout in literally any park except Fenway. So I really considered Porcello's last start to be really good and the home run to just kind of be like, eh, well, you know, that sucks, but that's part of being in Fenway. I don't really blame him for giving up a 311-foot pop-up when it's 310 <laughs> to the monster, you know? Oh, so, yeah. 
I'm not worried at all. No, I don't think there's any cause for concern for Rick Porcello. Just wanted to point it out. Just had the statistics, but yeah. Especially, I honestly think, like, looking at Rick Porcello's, like, underlying statistics right now, that he's better than his 2016 version. Like, his strikeout numbers are better. He's, he's always been just had such good command. He never walks, guys. And he's kept the home run problem at bay. He's given up more home runs recently, but I think that we might be looking at a better version than the guy who won the Cy Young, and that's scary to think about because there's Chris Sale who exists in that rotation now. So, yeah, that's good things. So, on Sunday, the Red Sox... Oh, Sunday. That's today. Today, the Red Sox had a 5-0 win over the Baltimore Orioles, and it was the J.D. Martinez show. J.D. Martinez hit two home runs. One was literally right near Pesky Pole. It was not far at all. And then the next one he hit, holy crap, it was crushed straight away center. Nobody hits it there. And J.D. Martinez hit it there. Uh, it was a great day for J.D. Martinez. Eduardo Rodriguez, who Dave is also a pretty big advocate of, went five and two-thirds innings, seven strikeouts, one walk. Jackie Bradley Jr. had a double. I just wanted to point that out for my own self-happiness. Um, that was pretty cool. He finally got a fastball. Like, pitchers have been targeting him with fastballs, like, in on the hands. I think I saw a statistic from Red Sox stats that the last 37 pitches, this is like mid-game, so it's probably not the same as it would be at the end of the game, but the mid-game, um, the statistic was 37 pitches had been thrown to JBJ. 34 of them were fastballs. 34 of 37 pitches were fastballs, and they were all in and on his hands, and JBJ just could not connect with it. Um, but he connected with one. He timed it right, and it was a double. It was a beautiful thing. It's, it's not worth mentioning, but I already did it, so there you go. But I also put a Twitter poll out, and I don't know if you guys saw this, but it was it, it's on the Bo Sox Unfiltered Twitter page, and it's, and it's getting some traction. So I tweeted... By the season's end, who will hit more home runs, Mookie Betts or J.D. Martinez? As of now, there has been, like, or before this episode, I looked at it, there were, like, 70 votes, and I think J.D. Martinez had 70% of the votes. I'm wondering which which player you think is going to hit more. Is it going to be Mookie Betts, or is it going to be J.D. Dingers Martinez? Who's going to hit more? I'll start with you, Dave. Okay, so I think they're both going to be in the top five at the very worst top ten in the American League. But my vote's going to go with the crowd here. I'm going to say J.D. Martinez, just because, well, one, he's J.D. Martinez, but Nesson also showed a pretty cool stat that since um, April 27th of last season, J.D. Martinez is leading all of baseball in home runs, and Fenway Park just plays so well to his strengths, as do oh, most sure. of the, Ameri- the AL East ballparks. Um, with a relatively short right field down the line, he got one that way today, and you just know that um, Yankee Stadium's right field there is just made for him. Same with Camden Yards. Oh, definitely. I, I just I could see this guy reaching 50 pretty easily. Yeah. I think it's going to be, he's going to be a lot of fun to watch, and I think Mookie, um, he's freaking amazing. He's He's my vote for MVP right now. I wrote an article on that uh, today, actually. Wonderful but, article. But um, I don't think he's going to match the match Martinez home run for home run. But, you know, I hope to be proven wrong there. I hope they can both go 50, you know? Yeah, hit 50 apiece, hit 100 combined, no big deal. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. The- 
the, the thing that's incredible to me is that, I mean, it's not really incredible, it's just interesting that Betts is going to hit like 30, 40, like to, to the pull side. He's going to hit it to left field, and then J.D. Martinez is just going to go oppo, and he's going to be shooting them to right field. And it's pretty cool to watch, especially like Dave said. The, the, por- the, the, por- the bullpen porch in Fenway Park is just perfect for J.D. Martinez swing. It's tailor-made, and then you got Betts like hitting him into the monster. I, I think he has like a crap ton of home runs away though so yeah it's gonna be fun to like if you're if you're in Fenway Park like and you want to go to a game you sit in right field or in the monster and when Betts and Martinez are up you better have your gloves ready because there's a good chance there's a ball coming your way uh Jordan who do you think is going to hit more home runs by season end you know what I'm going to go the other way I'm going to go Mookie Betts um you know what I just think it would be awesome to see this guy like continue his streak of, uh, of, of absolute dominating baseball. Um, I'm not, I don't think any Red Sox fans would uh, disagree with me. Um, I just think what he needs to do is if he can like, you know, if he can go opposite field like JD is, um, consistently, uh, like Dave said, like the entire AL East, like those parts are just built for, um, for, uh, for home runs. So, uh, is it possible? Yes. Uh, is it likely? I don't know, but for the sake of debate, I'm going to go with Mookie. I like that. I like that. You took a different stance. That was bold, and I'm proud of you, Jordan. It made us interesting. You made that interesting. <laughs> but, yeah, I think J.D. Martinez is just stronger, and he has more power than Mookie Betts. I think Betts, uh, it's just so, it's going to be so close. But I, as, as Dave said, I'm going to go J.D. Martinez, and I think I already said that, so it's no surprise there. But both of them are just dang like i'm they if they could feasibly like they're on pace to hit 100 combined home runs which they probably won't do but man that would be kind of cool wouldn't it um so now we're gonna yeah, that'd be that would be, that would pretty be nice. uh, what everyone is expecting judge and stanton to do yeah yeah i was gonna say that's like that's almost what what's happening with the yankees but you know i hope not i, I certainly hope not that's yeah, oh, no, yeah. No. the expectation was that Stan and Judge would hit 100 combined home runs. Well, okay, so now now let's have another question that I just thought of. Who's going to hit more combined home runs, Betts and Martinez or Judge and Stan? I know Betts and Martinez kind of have an advantage right now, so let me, let me hear your thoughts, Jordan, first. Um, hmm. I mean, I think uh, huh, that's a good question. Uh, I think, uh, I think, Objectively, like Judge and Judge and Stanton could do it. Um, I just think they're gonna like strike out just like just as uh, just as many times as, as they hit home runs. Um, as you've seen with Mookie, like at the beginning of the season, he doesn't really strike out. It's very rare for him to strike out. Um, JD Martinez a little bit more. Um, I mean, I you know, like my gut says Judge and Stanton, but like I also like kind of cringe because because they're Yankees, so. Yeah, I'm gonna bite the bullet on this one and say uh, Judge and Stanton. I oh. like. I'm gonna get, yeah again. I hate to root for the Yankees, but <laughs> hey, yeah, if, if it makes you feel better, if it makes you feel better, I put I picked the Yankees to win the division in our preseason predictions. Actually, it was just Dave and I's preseason predictions. Don't tell anyone. I mean, I just told everyone, but yeah, I picked the Yankees. I don't know how that's gonna play out. I hope it's the Red Sox, but yeah, Dave, what do you think? Uh, which 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 duo is gonna hit more bombs? Well. This is a Red Sox podcast, after all. It is. So in my completely biased view, I'm going Red Sox all the way. I really think that JD. I think JD can keep up this pace. I think Mookie's going to slow down a little bit, yeah. but I still see him 
pushing, like, probably ending his season around 35, maybe 40 if everything breaks right. Yeah. And um, J.D. Martinez, I think the sky is the limit with that guy. When I look over at the Yankees, obviously, you know, Judge and Stanton, they're great. Um, but with I, I see a different, in both, for, in both players, I see a different guy in 2018 than I did in 2017. With Judge, he's become a better all-around oh, hitter. Definitely. He still has his power, but he's not he's not using only power. He's started hitting a lot more for average, taking balls the other way, and frankly, it terrifies me that Aaron Judge is better this year than he was last year, because that's what he's become. He still drives in runs. He still, he still has the power, but instead of striking out every time he doesn't hit it out of the park, he's now taking, he's now making those into singles and doubles, which terrifies me, but in a sense, it also takes some of those home runs off the board. And with Stanton, last year was an aberration. He's always going to be a power hitter, but he is never, ever, ever again going to hit 59 home runs. That's just not happening. So many things Have to go just right. went right for him in yeah. 2017. And this isn't me just being a Red Sox fan, not liking the guy on the Yankees. When he was on the Marlins and there was talk about us trading him, I just, I prayed to God that we didn't get him Ooh. just because last year... So much went right for him. He stayed healthy, which he never does. He he uh, hit all those home runs, and his career high before last year, I think, was in the low 30s, and he had 59. So that's absurd. So that was like an absurd jump. And he's just so much of a he strikes out or he hits it out of the park, and there is no in between. And I understand that's the direction the league is trending in terms of. Uh, like generally what you want out of a player, but I just think that's not the type of player you want. If you have the choice between like a J.D. Martinez or a Gene Cardlow Stanton, like let's pretend both guys are cost the exact same amount of money to acquire. Give me J.D. every single day just because he makes contact a lot better than Stanton does. And in the in the short AL East ballpark, um, really all you have to do is make contact. It's a lot cooler to see the ball go 500 feet, but if you hit it 350, that's good enough in a lot of the AL East ballparks. So give me Martinez over Stan, give me Mookie over, well, actually Mookie and Judge is probably a wash for home run totals, but I'm picking Red Sox over Yankees. Yeah, yeah. So I, I thought it was, I like that you broke down Stanton and Judge. Judge is definitely swinging and miss, missing less, which is, he's becoming a more all-around hitter, which is cool to see as a baseball fan, but as a as a Red Sox fan, you know, not as much. But yeah, he's taking his game to a different level, and uh, man, he's he's a good hitter. He's a good player, uh, and he adjusted too. Um, but Stanton, I hear what you're saying. And you brought up an interesting uh, choice between Stan or Martinez. Same amount of money. Like, though, they're so similar. I mean, not this year. J.D. Martinez has been a much better player than Stan has. But just looking at, like, their barrels per plate appearances, their average exit velocities, like, even when Stan wasn't hitting 60 bombs, like, over the past three years, it's just such a wash. Like, they're so close. They're such similar players. And uh, J.D. Martinez makes more contact probably. I don't know if that's true. I would have to actually have to look that up. But, yeah, Stanton's striking out more this year um, than he has before. Um, but I still think that Stanton and Martinez are incredibly close. And I think Stanton is is going through a rough patch, and I think he will come around. But I will have to pick Mookie Betts and J.D. Martinez because they already have the advantage. I don't know how many home runs total Judge and Stanton has. Does anyone know how many they have by any chance? 
top of my head, I don't know. Okay, yeah. I have. Yeah, I'm going to have to look that up, but I'm, yeah, not off the top of my head. Yeah, we'll, we'll, I'll look that up later. I'll let you guys know what I find. But, yeah, Martinez and Betts have a great advantage. I think Martinez has this park made for him, and I think Betts is taking his offensive game to a whole nother level, which we will also talk about at the end of this show. Um, so now we're going to actually get into a topic, and I know Dave wanted to talk about this, and I know a lot of Red Sox fans are considering it, and it's the question of, should Sandy Leone be the Red Sox starting catcher? And I'm going to let Dave take this one away. All right, Sandy, my boy, you have no idea how long I've been waiting to sing Sandy Leone's praises, because, well, I've been singing them anyway, but now I actually have yeah. an excuse. He's playing somewhat decently. <laughs> So, yeah, so basically, entering the season, I totally get this decision to go Vasquez over over uh, Leon because honestly, objectively looking at it, Vasquez entering the season was the better player. The defense was roughly equal, and Vasquez hit pretty well last year. A lot of that was um, batted ball luck, but at the same point, Sandy has never shown himself to be much of a hitter, except for that freak second half of 2016, which I don't... I think even Sandy Leone knows was a fluke, but we all know. Le- Swihart and yeah, Leone uh, has been doing pretty good in this last May. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he's hitting something close to 300. I want to say in May when he's actually given a chance in the rotation, whereas Vasquez has just been nothing. He's been horrible. Um, I think he got, like, he went two for three against Cobb, who he historically dominates. But aside from that, I can't remember the last time he had a two-hit game. Can't really remember the last time he hit a, like, made solid contact on anything. And, you know, it's just, it's Sandy time, baby. It's Sandy time. Uh, And defensively, defensively, Vasquez is not bringing it like he did last year. And this ties into the, if you want a free Swihart, I'm all for it, too, because... You know, defensively, Vasquez has honestly been more of a liability than anything. If you go back to the Pomeranz game against the Orioles, most of that loss is on Pomeranz being bad and the Sox not driving guys in and scoring position. But there's one time Palm gave up a single to left field. Benintendi made a perfect relay throw. Vasquez has it plenty of time. And if you tag the guy inning over right there, the Orioles only score one. Instead, the ball just bounces right off Vasquez's chest, goes away, that run scores. I think two more do that inning. He basi- That was basically a three-run error, and we lost that game by three runs. And that's just one example. Vasquez has made a bunch of really, really uncharacteristic defensive plays where Leon just doesn't do that. He's a better defender, and he's a better bat. I don't know why Sandy Leon isn't the guy right now. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I actually have always been of the opinion that Sandy Leon is been the de- better defender than Christian Vasquez. It seems like he has a better relationship with the stats. Like even like his Fangraphs defensive numbers are superior than Leon's. But the thing, the thing is, I'm in the Vasquez. Sorry, um, I I think you're just in a bad situation with both the guys. Um, I like Sandy Leon as a person. I know, like we've talked about Sandy Leon jokingly on this podcast before, um, and he might even be the better option than Vasquez right now. But Vasquez, I'm going to read some stats before I get Jordan's opinions on the subject. Vasquez has a 25 WRC plus. 
That is, that means he's creating runs. The league average is 100. He's creating runs 75% below league average, which over 123 plate appearances is almost impossible to do. This is before today, by the way. He had a single, so it's not going to move that much. Um, a 191 average, which everyone should know in baseball language, is like objectively awful. He's got 235 slug, also objectively awful. Um, this really stuck out to me. So barrels, I, I reference barrels a lot. And it's just like when you have the ideal mixture of launch angle and exit velocity. It's a really good stat to see how often someone can actually hit the crap out of the ball. Christian Vasquez has zero barrels for plate appearances in 98 batted ball events. He's put 98 batted balls in play None of them have been classified as a barrel. D. Gordon is the only player to have more batted ball events than Vasquez without having barreled the baseball. And D. Gordon brings a different dimension than Vasquez does. And that's and, and, and then I have I said here in my notes, wow, awful stuff. And that epitomizes what Christian Vasquez has been to this team. Negative .7 F war, which is also objectively awful. But then we have Leon, 208 average, not much better. 283 slug, a little bit better, and a 46 WRC plus with a negative point for F4 and 57 plate appearances. Vasquez has a better track record than Leon. I mean, I don't even know if that's true because Vasquez had like the one good offensive season, and Leon had one good offensive season. And Blake Swihart, they don't like him. They don't want him behind. They don't want him to catch. So it's just a really awful situation with all three guys. I don't think you can. You, I don't think you're necessarily upgrading really with anyone. I think Blake Swihart deserves a look, but. Gosh, like I can't say like who I'd rather have. It's just it's picking picking from two really sour options, and yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to Jordan real quick because I I think I've said enough about my disdain for these two catchers. But you know, hopefully they're nice guys, and uh, you know, if they ever want to come to the show and talk, lo I love that. Uh, Jordan, what about you? You know what? Um, <clears throat> I actually I mean this this I I wrote about. Blake Swihart potentially leaving the Red Sox, but before I get into that, um, yeah, I think uh, Sandy Leone out of, out of like the three that I've seen that I've seen so far this season, I think like Sandy Leone gets on base. Um, he gets on base well. I mean, I think to David's point, he's hitting like three sixteen in May. Um, I just think he's like a, a much better like offensive option in addition to all the uh, defensive off defensive stats that we've just covered. So, I mean, I like, if we're giving, like, Sandy Leon the starting nod, then, like, absolutely, I, I love it. Because uh, what I've seen from, I mean, I've expressed, like, disinterest in Vasquez uh, this season. I mean, I remember, um, I think, I forget which game in the series it was against Texas, but, like, I think he had, like, two dropped balls. Um, which just, you know, made me disgusted to, to watch. But, uh, I mean, I mean, case in point, like, absolutely, we should, uh, we should have some of the young start over Vasquez. That's like, that sounds like music to my Anything besides Christian Vasquez sounds like music to my ears. And I, and I know we've talked about this catching situation pretty, we, we talk about it often on these podcasts, and I tweet about it a lot, but I mean, it's just such a glaring, captivating issue for the Red Sox that I feel like it, it needs to be addressed, and we're looking at a different light here with potentially having Sandy Leone as the catcher, not Blake Swihart. But I do have one stat that is in defense of Sandy Leone. This is from at Willie's team. It was a really nice stat, so I'm going to read it to you guys. Is that, does that sound good? All right. So let's do it. Let's do it. For those who want to get rid of 
Sandy Leone, last year he was among the league leaders in catcher's ERA. 341 was his ERA. And this season, his catcher's ERA is 289. We can do, we can wait or do without him hitting when you receive the ball like that. Hashtag defense is what the guy tweeted. For those wondering, the Christian Vasquez has a 402 catcher's ERA. Um, isn't, but I feel like this number could be distorted a little bit because doesn't Sandy Leone usually catch Chris Sale? Am I, am I wrong about that? Um, so I actually what I'm, saw. Yeah. You, you go ahead, Jordan. Uh, well, no, I guess what I what I was going to say is that I've seen like Christian Vasquez. I mean, obviously Christian Vasquez is a starter, but uh, um, I mean, I've, I've, I think I've I've only seen like Chris. I haven't seen like any difference in like who catches who. I guess, uh, which is you know maybe kind of like not observational of me. But anyway, um, I mean. I guess what I'm trying to say is that, like, I don't know who, like, who catches who, or, like, if there's, like, any, like, favorite battery, but, I mean, I've seen Christian Vasquez, like, catch most of the time. I know he's a starter, yeah. but, yeah. He's gotten 70 more yeah. play appearances. I actually do have an answer to that yes, question. Yes, so Thank I you. Saw, I saw a similar tweet. It was, it was, it didn't date back to last year, but it was talking about ERA for, or catcher's ERA this year, and... I can't remember the exact numbers. I think Sandy had like a 286, Vasquez had like a 370, and this was a few days ago, so the numbers are going to be a little bit different. Yeah. But yeah, so Sandy's ERA was almost one point better, and it said that Vasquez had caught 17 extra innings of sale. So really, Ooh. if anything, that ERA should be helping Vasquez out a lot. Now, maybe he catches Pomeranz and that can cancels itself out. Yeah. I don't know that, but um, I don't think catcher's ERA is the best stat to look no, at, at unless it's something glaring, and in this case, it would be something glaring. So defensively, I feel like I I'm with you in that Andy Leone is not like, you know, you wake up every morning skip into work smiling all day because you know you're going to go home and watch Sandy Leone catch for the Red Sox. Like, he's not... That's what I do every day, though, Dave. That's my routine. I think he's... <laughs> I think he's the best of a sorry lot right now. He is. And, you know, always, as always, hashtag free swiheart. But I, I've just accepted that's not going to happen. So. Yeah. So... That, like, segues us right into this. Uh, Blake Swihart's agent requested a, uh, a trade earlier this week. It was reported. Um, so I want to ask what you guys thought about this. I'm going to start with you, Jordan. What did you think about Blake Swihart's reportedly uh, potentially getting out of Boston? Um, I mean, well, I, I don't think this is anything we could have avoided um, to kind of top off this, uh, this catcher situation. We've, we've kind of had to juggle three different catchers um, in, like the entire season and we've we've kind of we've kind of we've kind of gotten a uh, you know um, I guess a different opinion for, for each catcher um, which we've all just expressed uh, just now um, but I mean I, I don't think that we could we could have avoided this um, and if it comes to an eventual trade, there were like there were plenty of teams that I could definitely benefit from uh, from having Swihart, but it's just a matter. I mean, it's just a matter of um, of clearing up space and getting this uh, this catching situation like covered because uh, it's been it's been pretty difficult for the Red Sox. It's, it's been rough, uh, Dave. What do you think about Blake Swihart um, requested? So I'm all I'm all for 
trading him. I'm all for his agent asking for a trade because what in the world are we doing with this guy? Now, generally speaking, I've been a big fan of Cora's management style. I think he's a great manager, but he is, like him and Dombrowski, I don't know who's responsible, just has really botched the Swihart dilemma here because your catchers are terrible, and if you don't believe in Blake Swihart as a catcher, then why is he... Why is he on the roster? Why isn't he serving as the utility outfielder? Jackie Bradley's been struggling, so why why can't Blake Swihart play left field out there? And you have Hanley or Moreland at first, J.D. D.H., and you have ways to get this guy into the lineup, and you're not doing it, even if it's not through catching, which, frankly, I know he's really ugly defensively, but I think it's worth a shot just based on how bad the other guys have been. And... Not only that, but by sitting him this long, you have absolutely destroyed his trade value. Because yeah. if I'm any other team in the league and I'm interested in Swihart, I look at the situation and I say, well, Sandy Leone isn't really doing much. Christian Vasquez is doing nothing. And yet Blake Swihart hasn't started a game of catcher. This, like the Red Sox, by just about every statistical measure, Leone and Vasquez have combined to be the worst catching duo in the league. And Swihart can't even get a spot start every now and again. I'm not going to give up anything valuable for that. And, I mean, you can't really teach a guy. Swihart has a good bat for a catcher. If you put him at other positions, he's just an average bat who's anything but a given. So the Sox have really botched the uh, Swihart situation. I hope he does get traded. I hope he goes somewhere else. And I hope he has a really, really great career, a really great season because, I am a big I'm a big Swihart guy, and I really feel like the Red Sox did him wrong with this whole uh, situation. I definitely see that. Um, I think Blake Swihart, if you do trade him, it'll be more out of respect because I don't think you're going to get close to anything for him. Just as you said, like his trade value is not that high. It's been even even like it's lessened because of the way the Red Sox have utilized him, but. I, I think Blake Swihart handled the whole thing very maturely. I think this situation's going pretty smoothly. He he expressed he said something to the effect of like, look, I, I if I am traded, great, but if not, like I'm here to win. Like I'm not gonna think about it. I just gotta take it day by day. A really cliche, like, you know, baseball player answer, but at the same time he, he did so with grace and the way he has been handled, I wouldn't be mad like I w I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked if he was feeling, you know, bad about this whole thing he was feeling ill will towards the Red Sox and how he's been used but he seems like a real mature guy and he seems like he's not going to be deterred at all um if he does start getting at bats which hopefully he does and if not hopefully he will have success elsewhere so along the lines of people making comments uh Carson Smith you know him um Oh, boy. Him. Yeah, that, that's what we're going to talk about. This was early this week, but we uh, we usually are trying to do two episodes a week, but we had to do one this week because I was vacationing in the mountains. Um, but Carson Smith, I wrote an article, I think, on Tuesday about his resurgence. I think it was Monday or Sunday, actually, and how, how he had just become the guy, the seventh inning guy for the Red Sox, and despite his early inning struggles, I mean his early season struggles, he had persevered, and he had been a cog in the Red Sox bullpen, and I was very excited about what he was going to do going forward. Unfortunately, that excitement quickly, quickly died, and so did my hopes and dreams. But he 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 made some comments um, after he got injured, and it may be season-ending, it may be 
Uh, yeah, but the comments were about how he was overused and that had contributed to his injury. Uh, Dave, what did you think about Carson Smith's comments? So in a respect, I gained up for Carson Smith is absolutely gone with how he handled this whole situation. Because first off, if you look at the innings pitched, he wasn't really that overused. I get he's coming back from a, from a pretty serious injury, but he lost uh, about a year and a half to uh, Tommy John, but he pitched in 17, he's pitched in 18, quarters, has been more than uh, managing just about everyone, and including, you know, position plays as well as the bullpen, and it's frustrated a lot of people by how cautious Cora has been with making sure nobody's overused. And yet, Smith, here comes Smith saying that, you know, I was overused by throwing me in every game. My body can't hold up to that one. You'll look at the numbers. He wasn't used more or less than any other reliever. No. I mean, really, there were other guys that were putting up far bigger uh, innings total than him. And I don't know where he's coming from with that. And by Cora... And then Cora comes out and basically says, I have no idea what Carson's talking about, and that, you know, Cora meets with the bullpen every single day, talks to them about what's, you know, how they're feeling physically, and if they can't go, Cora says, okay, great, you can't go. So really, this blame falls on Smith entirely, because had Smith talked to Cora and said, hey, you know, I can't go today, Cora would have said, fine, that's great, let's move along. And from the sounds of it, Cora goes to the bullpen. It's not like Smith would have had to reach out to Cora, which then I kind of get it, but Smith was actively not telling Cora about this. And then he goes and injures himself by throwing a glove, which you're not you're not 12. Grow up. You had a bad outing. And um, then he just goes and blames Cora. I mean, if, if this were, like, Little League baseball, this would be considered immature for that level, and you're a grown adult, you're a professional like pitcher, just, you know, be better. Be better. Yeah, and I, I think we, I did, like, some bad uh, iPhone calculator math, and I think Carson Smith was on pace for 58 innings based on, I think he, like, threw 13 to 14. Um, yeah, so that's not much at all. Um, I get it. Yeah, he was coming back from TJ surgery, and maybe his workload shouldn't have been as heavy. But if it was a problem and he felt like it, it was getting stress on his arm, then he should have gone in-house first. Like, I do not condone that. I don't think it's a way to approach that whatsoever. And if it was really a problem, I think, as you said, Alex Cora would have been more than willing to you know, use him less because Alex Cora is the biggest proponent of resting guys that I've ever I've ever seen in a manager. And I love the strategy. I love the conversation. I can't speak right now. I don't even know. I'm trying to say a word. It's on the tip of my tongue. It's just not coming out. So, but you know, you know what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. 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 You guys know. Yeah, it goes about every time, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Every time. I hate, <laughs> I hate finding words. <laughs> yeah, words are hard. But um, English is hard. Um, Jordan, what do you think about Carson Smith? Um, what do you think about the comments? Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like absolutely bush league, like, uh, like David said. Um, I mean, Cora does the best he can to look after his guys. And, and uh, like you said, he's very... Um, uh, He's very careful with how how he uses his uh, his bullpen, and then to and then on on Smith's part to go ahead and you know slam slam his gloves down and you know potentially injuring well not potentially uh, and injure himself and then and then blame it on the manager. I mean it's absolutely bush league. It's immature. Um, it's a laundry list of of, of just like 
bad, it's just like, it's bad, I'm going to say bad etiquette, but like, no, it's just like, it's not the way you carry yourself as a, as a professional in any field at all. So throw your, to throw your manager and your team under the bus, and then you just make yourself unavailable for, for uh, future outings. It's, you know, it's, it's not good. Yeah. Conservation was the word I was looking for, by the way. I, I, I remembered it, but there, you go. <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree we with you, articles. Jordan. We're good with words. Exactly. <laughs> and, but I also want to start a movement for this podcast to use Bush League more often because Jordan just said it, and I'm like, how have I gone six episodes of this Red Sox Unfiltered podcast and not said Bush League? So thank you for bringing that to my attention, Jordan, and I will be using that uh, more often. So look forward to that. Absolutely. I'm here to help, Pat. Thank you. So we're going to talk about our last topic, and it's going to be about the article that Dave put on the site earlier today, and it was it was a wonderful piece, and it was Beyond War, a look at the Mookie Betts versus Mike Trout debate. Now, one of our Red Sox Unfiltered podcast episode was actually titled Mookie Betts, Is Mookie Betts the Best Player in Major League Baseball? And it was literally Trout Betts back and forth, but we're going to look at it this year, and we're going to revisit it because more games are happening, bigger sample size, and uh, Dave, I'm going to let you also captain this Talk about this for us. Okay, so before we get too far into this, um, I just want to mention, in context, the uh, Mookie Betts versus Mike Trout uh, podcast, that was about who is the better baseball yes. player as a career. I should have clarified. Like, if you're talking a whole, like, you know, 15-year career, which one's, get, which one's the better player? In that regard, I still say Mike Trout just because He's Mike Trout. He's approaching Babe Ruth territory with how good he is. He's a top five player all time, and frankly, there aren't many better than him in history. So Mookie Betts isn't there yet. However, what I'm talking about this going forward is going to be what Mookie Betts has done this year relative to what Mike Trout has done this year. So when you're looking at it from that Mookie Betts has been superior to Mike Trout in just about every way possible. And this isn't to say Trout's having a down year by any stretch. Trout's doing his usual stuff. But Mookie is just on an absolutely, uh, like, a new plane of existence altogether. So these stats haven't been updated with today's game, but this is from my article. So Mookie's posting right now a slash line of 371, 443, 761, his isolated power is 390, and his WRC plus is 215. That means he's driving in runs 115% better than any other player than the average player in baseball. Which I don't know how that's possible, but it is. Like that is just unbelievable. Frankly, it's unheard of. Last year, Mike Trout finished with a WRC plus of 181, and that was one of the highest in history. And Mookie's like basically running laps around that. So, Trout's numbers offensively right now, and again, this doesn't include today's stuff, uh, 291, 432, 614 slash, 323 isolated power, and a 181 WRC+. plus. Most years, that's the MVP in a runaway, in a runaway but Mookie has the better average, he has the better on-base percentage, has the better slugging percentage, has the better isolated power, has the better WRC+. Plus. Mookie's leading the leagues in hits, tied with home runs with J.D. Martinez now. Basically, every stat possible, Mookie is either leading, and the ones that he's not, like, in first in the league, he's beating Trout in. 
And when you go defensively, Mookie's the better player, but that's always been the case. So I'm not really going to elaborate too much on that one. Mookie's a better right fielder than Trout is a center fielder and from a pure defensive standpoint. And I don't no think doubt. anyone would argue that at all. No. So basically the only thing Trout has going in his favor right now is that some sites give him a higher war, wins above replacement, because he plays center field and Mookie plays right. Overall, center field is more important defensively than right field, so I get why um, the war, when uh, they calculate war, they do it that way. However, it really does a disservice to Mookie just because Fenway's right field is just such a nightmare to play in. It's such odd dimensions, and a shot to right center, you actually have to cover a decent amount of space to like get there. So in many ways, right field can be in Fenway can be just as hard as center field in most. And Mookie, as previously stated, he's just such a better right fielder than Trout as a center fielder um, that I really don't think that Trout's defensive war should uh, have him overtake Mookie in the overall war. Because by every measure that I've read out there, Mookie has the better offensive war than Trout. That's unanimous. It's just defensive, defensive wins above replacement Trout's typically leading Mookie solely because he plays center and Mookie plays right, which really is a does a disservice to that's and how great he is. So, Mike Trout, you're the second best player in baseball in 2018. Mookie's the best. Yes, yeah. So with with the war, there's always that positional adjustment. I think Baseball Reference and Fangraph does it, but Fangraphs has Mookie Betts as like a 3.6 win player coming into today, and Trout as a 3.1. Um, over at Baseball Reference War, which is what ESPN uses, uh, Trout is higher, or coming in today, at least he was higher. But the thing is, also, they use different defensive components. I believe Fangraphs uses ultimate zone rating, and Baseball Reference uses defensive run saves um, into their war calculations. So that might be uh, accredited to the discrepancy as well. Um, I think Betts... Yeah, that's, that's yeah. part of it. Does that sound right? But um, I... Yeah, when I was uh, doing my great research for that article, which is mostly uh, reading the how we calculate this tab from Fangraphs and Baseball <laughs> Reference, um, one of them did say there is a uh, there is a factor included for for a positional for a position like catcher yeah. is an extra so and so right field yeah. is actually detracted because oh yeah it's a gen- overall it's an easier position to play center field is an increase in war because, you know, generally center field is harder to play. But uh, I just feel like that's too much of a generalization to, uh, like, hold Mookie back just for playing, you know, right field as opposed to center. Yeah. He's the better defender, so it really doesn't make sense that Trout's given more credit for being a worse defender at a, at a more important position. No, no doubt. I, I think it's it's weird because Betts historically has been the better defender than Trout, but like based on the numbers that Fangers and Baseball Reference, Trout has been better than Betts defensively this year and on the base paths. And meanwhile, like before this year, Trout like out hit Mookie Betts and wasn't particularly close. And now Mookie Betts is out hitting Mike Trout and it's not particularly close. Um, there's a positional adjustment, and the positional adjustment is definitely a generalization and it does not take into account a lot of things wars an imperfect stat and i think you mentioned it on the article because it is it is imperfect um but yeah i i think that Betts does get knocked off a little bit just for the fact that he does play right field and trout play center field and i really like what you illuminated to when you talked about how 
Fenway Park right field is a lot more difficult than your quintessential right field. So um, I think that was an excellent point that you brought up in the article. I think Mookie Betts right now is objectively the better player. Um, I look at Fangrass War. I take that more in stock than Baseball Reference War. I always have. Um, it's not just because of the fact that, you know, it favors Mookie Betts over Mike Trout. Um, yeah, I think Betts overall is a better defensive player, and I think not a lot of people particularly you know, take exception with that. But I think Trout overall in his career obviously has been the better hitter, but this year Betts is outpacing him. And if you're hit, out-hitting Mike Trout, and it's a pretty substantial gap with the other tools that Betts brings to the table. I, I don't know how he's not everyone's unanimous MVP, AL MVP right now, because the dude is a beast. The dude is taking his offensive game to a whole nother level. Jordan, what is your opinion on this Mookie mania versus Mike Trout mania debate? I mean, I mean, I, th- I think what we've seen so far from Mookie Betts, um, I mean, I, I think I told you on our on our last episode, uh, Pat, that he was the just like the, he was he is the AL MVP, and um, I mean that when when um, <clears throat> I guess when I started thinking that he was the MVP with the, like with a smaller sample size, and I, like I I was just keeping track of all all of the um, I guess what I'm trying to say like rankings that he was beating Trout in or tying Trout in. I was just like, oh my god. This is like this is extraordinary, and like, uh, and I think I think objectively, yeah, like Mike Trout is is going to be the better player, but for but for 2018, it's just exciting to watch. Yeah, it's 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 an exciting competition. We're going to be talking about it all year long, probably. I don't know. Maybe Jose Ramirez will throw his name in the ring. He's 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 got the same F WAR as uh, Mike Trout right now. He's he's quietly lost in the shuffle. That's just for some Jose Ramirez love. Dude's a beast too. Um, maybe maybe in, the, in a week or two we'll be talking about Jose Ramirez in this conversation. That would be neat. Then we have three people to talk about. Um, but yeah, this this is something that is incredible. Betts is having a phenomenal season, and I cannot wait to see it unfold. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Um, Dave, I'm going to start with you. You got any f- departing thoughts for the Red Sox fans? Um. No, not really. I think we covered it all. We had a good show, so um, keep going and free Swihart. <laughs> Hashtag free Swihart. Um, yeah, well, this is the first episode that we're going to eclipse an hour. Um, we came close. I think it was 57 minutes last week, so good for us. Um, everyone give themselves a pat on the back. Um, Jordan, this what about you? been an hour, really? Yeah, this has been an hour and one minutes. Uh, uh, yeah, that's what my quick time recorder says. Um, wow, I, I thought we were going short. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, we we have surpassed it. It's been wonderful, Jordan. What about you? You know what? I want to reach out to JBJ wherever he is and say like, thank God that you got a hit because <laughs> like I don't want I don't want to hate on the guy, but like like he needed one. He was due to say it's like to put it nicely. He was he was due, and uh, you know we'll see what happens with uh, with Swihart. Yeah. Um, so I think the Red Sox play the Braves next. Does anyone know if that's correct? Is I might be wrong. Or no? Um, it's the Rays. The Rays, and then I believe it's the... Yeah, did you say Rays or Braves? I didn't quite get I, I said Atlanta Braves. I was wrong. I, I thought I was right. Now, yeah, you, now that you said it, it is the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, and then they play the Astros soon. Is that this weekend? Or am I wrong? I think it's the series after that, but yeah. don't quote me on that. Yeah. I can barely remember my own schedule day today. I'm not going to remember the Red Sox. <laughs> yeah. 
Because, uh, no, Rays, get this, Rays, Braves, and then Blue Jays, it looks like. Wow, what a rhyme scheme right there. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> they did that on purpose. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Petition to yeah. just make Major League Baseball do all their scheduling around Ryan. Exactly. I think that would be cool. I think that would be fun for everybody. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, guys, that's good. Kids interested? Yeah. <laughs> that's gonna do it for this episode. We do have an exciting announcement. We are actually uh, gonna be featured on Grueling Truth as their official Red Sox podcast. We're also gonna be sharing some articles on there, so you can also find us over there. Um, they're an amazing site. They cover a variety of sports topics and definitely give them a, a, a read and a listen to um, but yeah so now we're on iHeartRadio we're on Speaker we're on YouTube as well so I think it's Spreaker I don't know if that's how you pronounce it but yeah so there's a lot of th- exciting things happening with this podcast as always I want to thank you guys for joining us and you know go Red Sox we're going to beat the Rays we're going to beat the Braves and we're going to beat the Blue Jays and those Astros are going to be quivering in their boots thanks guys <laughs>